Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Good morning. If I were in Haiti, I would say bonjour. Um, can you say bonjour? Yeah. You see, you speak French. That's what we will speak in heaven. So, so. I am very happy to be here this morning and excited to worship and praising um, God uh, with you. And uh, our church in Haiti right now is meeting. Uh, all of our 10 churches are praying for you here this morning. They know that I will be with you at this time. And um, so it was very good time this morning to uh, sing and with you and worship and praising um, our Savior. I'm excited to see that the vision of, uh, of uh, the church here is uh, um, bringing people to Jesus. And that is and should be the vision of every church and every Christian organization. We exist to bring people to, to, to Jesus. And um, Eileen and I uh, want to thank you for your prayers and your financial um, support. Um, it takes people like you to keep us doing for Haiti something that will last. And um, I was, uh, I wanted to start a, um, churches in the village until I reached the Dominican border. And I told God, you know, once I reach the Dominican border with churches and winning people for you, I am ready to go home. But now there are only two towns left. Two towns left before I reach the border with churches. You know, I had a talk with God recently and I said, God, do you remember what I said? I'm sure he shook his head. He said, I remember. But I said, I was just kidding. <laughs> you got it? I was just kidding. I said, I'm not ready to go yet. Give me some more time uh, so I could do more, more for you in bringing people uh, to you. If you have your Bible with you or uh, with me, uh, turn it to um, Matthew uh, 9, verse 35, or I will read it for you. Jesus went through all the town and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thousands, millions of people are yet to be rich for Jesus. Are yet to be one for the kingdom of God. They are in need of a savior. And we, as Christians, should be the rescuer to reach to these people. 
in the summer of 2002, a very special ceremony was held in New York City to honor the firefighters and other volunteers who have put their lives on the line during the terrorist attack of 9-11. It was a very sad moment as the city remembered all those who lost their lives seeking to rescue those who were in a life and death situation. The 911 rescuers gave themselves because they knew that many people would either live or die based on their own efforts. People who are facing certain disasters need a rescuer to lead them out of danger, no matter what the cost to the rescuer. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel, smell, and see death? How would you feel if you were to get stuck in a roller coaster? In 1980, first time I left Haiti to come to Athens, Ozark Christian College. I flew into Columbus, Ohio, and the family that was taking me to Joplin, Missouri, they stopped with me at King's Island. First time I saw a roller coaster in my life. And they stopped, they wanted me to have some fun, fun before I go to school. And um, they tricked me. They told me if I sit in the last cart, that, will, that thing will go click, click, click slowly. I, I won't feel, I won't feel the sensation like all the other people because I would be, if something would happen, it would happen to the first one, not on me, because I'll be the last one. So, sure enough, that thing went, came out that I was the first one in, in that car, going back. And when we got to a place, almost in the middle of that thing, something happened, we were stuck in the middle of the Holy of the. Some people were screaming, and me, I, I said, God, you see why you bring me? I'm going to die right here. I said, <laughs> but someone, I, I, I saw, I felt that I was going to die that day. Fortunately, someone came in and, and fixed it, and fixed it. Likewise, there are millions and millions of people who are facing certain spiritual Disaster without Jesus Christ. They too need someone to lead them to safety. They need the church to witness to them. They need us to lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ where sin is paid for and forgiven. That is why God has called and mobilized the church as a rescue unit in your Jerusalem, and to the whole world and be his witnesses to turn people on their way to hell 
toward heaven. My friends, hell is real. It is a fireplace. People need to be rescued from in. And it is us. It is up to us to rescue them, to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, yes, we need to be going out among the dying and bring them the message of life. It is our calling as followers of Christ to lead lost people to the fire and smoke to the safety of the cross. Someone said, we are never further from the heart of God than we are when we are silent to our unsaved friends and loved ones about the gospel and the eternal life that Jesus gave. And we're never closer to the heart of God than we are telling others how they can be saved and bringing them to the Savior. My brothers and sisters, we need to be sold out on evangelism. You see, evangelism is telling, sharing with others what Christ has done in your life and what it means to you. Evangelism is telling your good friends about what your best friend, Jesus, has done for you. Once we were blind, now we can see. There were some eye doctors from the States who went to India uh, for a week of mission trip to help people who have lost their sight uh, for many years. And during that week, there was a man, older man, who came to the clinic, to the hospital where they were doing surgery. And the doctors saw him, consulted him, and they find out that he has cataract in his eyes and he needed surgery. So they kept him and did the surgery on his eyes. To, next day, they took the patch off his eyes and he was able to see a glimpse of the sun. The man was excited. They told him to wait for two, three more days at the hospital before he could go home. But they were looking for him the next day all over the hospital. They could find him. They went in every room, asked people in the, in the, in the community if they seen a man. Uh, no one saw him. Three or four days later, they could hear at the from the hospital, people were coming and singing from afar. So the doctors, the nurses, got out of the hospital and went in to hear and see those people who were singing. And they saw, when they got there, they saw the men who had just got surgeries two to three days before holding a rope and holding also on this rope were a bunch of other people, men and women, who were also blind. When they asked him, we told you to stay, you're not healed yet. He said, I was blind, but now I can see. But I know where I live. 
there are hundreds of people like me who haven't been able to see for many years. They need also to, be, to see. So I thought of them. So I went up to the mountains where I live. And here I'm bringing them to the hospital so that they too can be seen. That's what we as Christians, one time we were blind. We didn't have Christ. We couldn't see Christ in our lives. And we would need to go and reach out to those who are lost, who are in need of Jesus Christ. You see, evangelism is a priority with God. But the problem is that missions, either at home or abroad, is not a priority with God's people. Evangelism is being a witness of who Christ is to you. It is a concern that you have for that lost neighbor and unsaved friends or co-worker who are in a burning building, so to speak, and will never make it out alive unless we or someone helps them. In the church, Elin and I, uh, we came here in 1980 to attend Ozark Christian College. It was not a miracle, but God's plan for, my, for our lives. I grew up, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. From nine years old, I hated God. I used to go to, to church. I was an altar boy um, serving many priests, and I attended a Catholic school and a priest was a principal. But in the 60s, when I was growing up, no Catholic was allowed to have a Bible at home. I touched a Bible until a man came to start a church near where I live and was inviting people to come to the uh, service to the revival they were going to, to have. And I went the first night, the minister said, anyone who come every night at the end, they will give him a gift. I was nine years old, and I thought they were going to give me a soccer ball, or they were going to give me something to, a toy. Well, I went every night just to get that gift. Not because of, I wanted to, to get God, but I was given, uh, at the end, my name was called, and I went up, and they gave me a Bible. I couldn't take it home, because at that time, if the priest knew that my parents had a Bible, they could get excommunicated from the church. My parents were so Catholic that they bought a pew with their name written on the back of the pew. And if I would go to church and see someone sitting on the pew, I can have that person get up from that pew. We were not allowed to read the Bible, to read the Bible. But I was given the Bible. So I took it, the Bible, took it home, put it in my book bag. Next day, Monday, I went to school, started showing it to my friends. 
and one of them went to tell the priest, Roro has the Bible in the school. The principal was a priest that I served mass with him. So he called me in his office and he asked me for the book. I said, I have all my books here. He said, about the Bible. So I said, I have a Bible here. He said, you have disobeyed the will of the church. You go get the Bible. So I went and got him the Bible, take it to him, and he said, you are expelled from the school. I was kicked out of the school at nine years old because of the Bible that was given to me. My parents, I had two of my uncles who were teachers in the school. I went home, tell my mom, my mom was mad, tell my dad, my dad was mad. After two hours, my dad left the house and then I didn't know where he went. Later on, I find out that he went to the school to meet my, my uncles who went to the, to the priest. Fortunately, I was, they were, he took me back to the school in one condition. As a punishment, I had to write 1,000 times on the notebook, I will never touch the Bible again. For that week, I spent the whole week writing down, I will never touch the Bible again. And when I went back, following Monday, in front of me, he counted every line, every line. From that day, I hated God. From grade school to high school, to 12 grades, I had nothing to do with God. I became an atheist. And I, the, I, the thing that in my mind, if you were God, you said what you were. What did you let that happen to a kid? You, God is dead. I had nothing to do with him. Until I met a man who was studying at, uh, um, to be uh, a ministry at Oza Christian College in 19, it was July 1976. And then I wanted to be a lawyer, wanted to go to law school. And uh, I was friends with one of his brothers who was in second year of law school. And um, invited, he invited me to church with him several times. And I said, no, I won't, I won't go to church with you. He said, you need Christ. I said, keep your Christ for yourself. But finally, one day, he, I decided to go with him. And I sat way back in the back seat. Not, I didn't go because I wanted to hear the gospel or I wanted to hear. But at the end of the service, I realized there was some beautiful girl in that church. <laughs> and I said, maybe, maybe I might go back. Maybe I might go back. They were having a revival. He invited me again. And then on February 17, 1977, as I heard the sermon as if the minister was talking about my life. And I came forward and gave my life to Christ. And that night, 
I felt the hatred for God, the emptiness, um, the hole that was in me was filled. And, and I said, God, I want to know you. Next morning, February 18, I went downtown Port-au-Prince and bought me a Bible. And I said, the book I wasn't allowed to touch when I was nine years old. Now I have one. I'm going to do my best to discover that God I wasn't allowed to know about. That book I wasn't allowed to touch. From February till December, I had read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Then I said, I want to know God. And my minister took me under his wing, teach me about Christ. In, then in 1980, a man came to Haiti on a short-term missionary trip to help my minister build a church in the village. That week, I didn't go to classes, so I, will, so I could help. So I went and helped with buckets of concrete and mixing concrete by hands. And at the end of the trip, by, was a Thursday night. The man's name was Bill Hostetler from Millersburg, Ohio. And he asked my minister, he told him, I want to do something for Haiti that will last. Do you have a young man in the church who is serious about God? I want to bring him to the States to attend a Bible college. I will pay for his education and for him to go back to Haiti to do something for Haiti that will last. He said millions of dollars have been given to Haiti for development, but through corruption, Nothing has done. Nothing lasts in Haiti. But with the gospel that will change people's heart and people's mind, something can be done that will last. Do you have a young man? I was chosen. And then in August 15 of 1980, I was, Bill Hostetler brought me to the States. And then I attended Oza Christian College. My first night, on the campus of Ozark Christian College. I almost got myself in trouble. I was about 8.39 p.m. I was walking on campus uh, to get myself situated where my classes were going to be. And I saw a, a very beautiful black and white animal. And I was calling, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> you understand what it is. <laughs> it, was not, it was not a cat. It was a skunk. <laughs> but in Haiti, we don't have skunks. And I, I wanted to get closer to that. Uh, but one student saved my life. She ran after me and grabbed me. She said, this is not a cat. This is a skunk. And she gave me a lesson about skunks and what would have done to take the smell out of me. And, but that same student also... <laughs> became my worst enemy for a semester. Because uh, she was rather of big size. And one morning I asked, I saw I was going to class and I called and I said, good morning, Susan. And she said, I asked her how she was doing. She said, I was doing fine. And I said, I can tell you how well because you look fat and pretty. 
for the whole semester she never talked to me after that. <laughs> and finally at the end, in December before final, and I said, Susan, we are attending a Bible college. We cannot be enemies. I talked to you several times. I called you. You never answered me. She said, you insulted me, Robo. I said, ah, me? I said, no. I said, I didn't. She said, yeah. And you make fun of me that I was fat and pretty. And I said, Susan, I was being nice to you. Because in Haiti, in my country, someone who was rather big is a sign of good health. It is a sign of wealth. Because people who are skinny show that they don't have food to eat. And if you don't have food to eat, you are poor. And I was being nice to you. And she said, it is not like this in my country. So you better be careful. <laughs> and I said, I will be. <laughs> and, and from that day, I always said, you look pretty. <laughs> Eileen and I, we both graduated from Bozak. Time for us to go back to Haiti. But we were married in Ohio. But I had to change uh, maiden name to my passport, to her passport. And I had to fly to New York to do that at the Asian Embassy. I flew to New York, went in one morning, gave the passport. They told me they would mail it to me in one month. As I was leaving the embassy, there was a man coming at the door. I looked. He was a man that I was in school with. He was well-dressed, nice tie, and he was happy to see me. And he, told me, he asked me what I came to do, and I explained to him, and I told him what I was told, and he said, come back. So I came back and seated. Fifteen minutes later, he walked out and handed me the passport. It was done. He said, you have to know people. And he said, whoa, whoa, are you going back to Haiti? And I said, yes. And he said, are you crazy? He said, whoa, whoa there is nothing for you in Haiti now. He said, you speak French, you speak English, you speak Spanish, you speak Creole, plus you have an American diploma. You can, I can give you a job right here. And I said, it, here? He said, I am the first secretary of Haiti at the United Nations. He said, I can give you a job. The UN are looking for people like you who speak more than two languages. At that time, I only had $300, I only had $300 promised for me, to me to go back to Haiti. I called Eileen from Ohio. I said, honey, we're not going back to Haiti. We are staying in the States. We make money and we got a better life than going back to Haiti. And Eileen said, no, we are going back. And I said, you don't understand. She said, we promised God that we will go back to Haiti to do something that will last. We promised Bill Hostetler who brought us here. We cannot stay here. We have to go back. And she said, if we stay here, we can be useful. But in Haiti, we are needed. We are needed. When she said, we are needed, I said, yes, ma'am. Flew back to Ohio, packed all our suitcases, went back to Haiti in 19, 
December 18 of 1984. The first three months was difficult for us. We rented a small house. For six months, Elena and I, we slept on a piece of cardboard. We had no money to buy furniture until we met some American missionary who gave us some silverware, some plates, some glasses. And, but Elena said, I want you to be in full-time ministry. I will get a job. That's what she did. And then on April 21st, 1985, we started our first church in Port-au-Prince, downtown Port-au-Prince. Today, we have seven, 10 churches that we've started, six schools, and a major hospital that is, people are coming from all over the island. Like Megan said, we had about 400 children born last year. I just flew back and came back to the States last Friday, um, doing surgery with a surgeon from Ohio of people who were hurt in the last hurricane, last earthquake in Haiti. God is doing something big in Haiti. For 36 years, Elin and I, we have stood faithful in doing something in Haiti that will last. I remember when we started the church in, uh, uh, in Peredo, where the hospital is, we were calling on people to, uh, to come. I knocked at the door of the house. No one answered. But I could hear a little noise in, inside. So I got closer, and I opened the door, and I saw a little girl. She was nine years old. Her name was Christella, laying down on a piece of cardboard. I knelt down and asked her why she was crying, and she pointed to me. And I looked, there was a big wound in her legs. And I asked her what happened. And she said, pass. And she said, my mom was cooking and I was running and I hit a piece of wood and I fell on whatever they were cooking. For two weeks, the father didn't take her to the hospital. What he did, he took her to a witch doctor. And the witch doctor told him to go look for old batteries you put in flashlight, break them open, get the acid, get the powder, and put in the wounds. It wasn't pretty. The wounds was, were not pretty. I could, lay, I could see maggots crawling out of that thing. I picked her up, took her to the nearest hospital, and doctor said, I have to amputate both legs nine years old. And I told the doctor, we cannot do that. Took her home, help as I could. Three days later, I fly to Northwest uh, uh, Haiti with her, where there were some American Christian doctors coming, surgeons coming. And they kept her for three months. After several surgeries, she was able to wear a pair of shoes and come back to Peredo. And because of that, her mom, her dad, sisters, brothers, they all accepted Christ and are now members of the Peredo Christian 
church. We are doing something for Haiti that will last. We don't know when the Lord will call us home. But we have enough leaders that we have trained to continue the work. Like you, our vision is to bring people to Jesus. They need a rescuer. And we, as Christians, we are the ones doing that. That same witch doctor, because he had given a pair of shoes to his son, came and was asking for me over town. And one day I came face to face with him. And he, some people were afraid for me to meet him because he was a witch doctor. And I asked him, you were asking for me? What do you want from me? And he said, Pastor, I just want to thank you for giving a pair of shoes to my son. Would you want, please, take him with you and teach him about your Jesus, about your God? And I said, I can teach you about Jesus too. And he said, I cannot become a Christian. I said, why? I said, your sin has been paid for. Christ will forgive you if you give your life to him. And he said, when I was younger, I sold my soul to the devil. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. So I shared with him about the grace of God. And one Sunday morning, while I was preaching, I could see him outside, listening to what I was saying. Next Sunday, he got closer and closer. Following Sunday, he stood outside, but I, I spoke, I didn't have his microphone, so I spoke louder so he could hear. And I saw him coming closer and closer and gave his life. He came, he gave his life to Christ. That same witch doctor. There are people dying without Christ who need a savior. And our responsibility as Christians is to tell them about Jesus, tell them about his grace. I pray that you continue to have the same vision, bringing people to Jesus because they are lost. They need a Savior. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you this morning to thank you for sending your Son your only son, Jesus, whose name is so powerful to give his life for us so that we too might have eternal life. We pray, O oh God, that you will always put in our heart the desires to share your saving grace to those who are still lost. Not one day there is 
not the bad news in the world. Kidnapping, killings, and I think it's because people haven't met you and accept you as their Lord and Savior. We pray this morning for all people of all the world who are in need of a Savior. Even here in Tewood, may you use us to be a rescuer because there is room for one more. And it will always be room for one more in heaven. We thank you for the sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.